This is where the big social, political and religious dilemmas of our day are debated. The Interrogator from the Fifth Column. Welcome to The Interrogator. That's me, Emma Barnett. Here we take a subject very much in the public consciousness, challenge the opposing views of two guests and then let the guests take on each other. The London Olympic Games are over. The Paralympics are soon to start. And even if we accept them as impressive sporting extravaganzas, there are some politicians and athletes to the fore who have always wanted them to be much more. There has to be a legacy. Different voices have listed these as a boost to our economy, inspiring a generation to play sport and the regeneration of East London. Perhaps another legacy too, less quantifiable, is we've discovered that we are more united as a people than we thought. We feel a little bit more confident in ourselves, despite this being a difficult time. Almost, to use the words of one of our guests, the nation's spirit has been transformed. So, to our guests, who predictably have very different takes on the Olympics' legacy. Peter Hitchens, author, broadcaster, journalist and columnist for the Mail on Sunday. And Catherine Pepinster, editor of the Catholic weekly The Tablet and formerly executive editor of The Independent on Sunday. Peter, you've made your views on the Games pretty clear. So we sort of know what to expect when it comes to discussing the legacy. No legacy from the Olympics or a legacy we should do our best to avoid? Well, you can't avoid it, really, can you? Because of the enormous amount of money that we've spent, which was money that we didn't have. So that will be the main legacy, which we will live with for many years to come. And I suppose it's quite important for those who supported the Games to try and make out that we've got some sort of value in return for it. And that's part of the problem of this debate, the, the extraordinarily vigorous attempt by the supporters of the Games to claim that something permanent has been achieved apart from a large bill. It's the grandiose, spectacular, and, and the attempt to impress uh, by, by trying to out-Chinese the Chinese that I find distressing and wasteful. We haven't got this kind of money. We haven't got that kind of economy. Why not just admit the Games did something to lighten the national mood, to unite us, and if no more than that stays with us, well, it can't be that bad, can it? Well, I've got no trouble in, in, in accepting that people enjoyed it. I enjoyed some of it myself, but that's not really the point. You could have enjoyed it just as much if it had been held in existing stadiums scattered all over the country, if we hadn't spent all that money, if we haven't pretended that it was some kind of national regeneration, and also if it hadn't been sandwiched on either side by rather political opening and closing ceremonies, which seemed to me to have a sort of incantatory purpose designed, as it were, to undo the old magic of another Britain and to impose on us the new magic of a multicultural, post-cultural revolution, sex, drugs and rock and roll Britain, which I don't particularly like, and nor do quite a few other people. OK, but what about the surge in national happiness as a bit of a legacy? I know it's a high cost, admittedly, but then obviously throwing a bit of a party does cost quite a lot of money. But especially in straps for cash times as these, don't you think that any sort of surge in well-being is something to be applauded? I think there's a great tendency in the modern world to mistake pleasure for happiness. The two things are quite different. You can buy pleasure, but it's temporary. Happiness comes from deeper things and, and results not from brief expenditures of money, but from effort rewarded, from genuine triumph, from genuine achievement. This, of course, is one part of the games for the actual participants, for the athletes. They had genuine achievements, but nobody became more sporting by watching somebody run 100 metres, and nobody became more healthy 
healthy by sitting in a chair in front of a television set, scoffing crisps, watching somebody doing synchronized swimming or underwater basketball. Well, not yet, they No, and they won't either. We're an unfit country largely because we drive cars all over the place and it's almost impossible to get exercise in daily life. But Peter, the the people signing up to go and do sport in light of the Olympics, and I know you're probably going to say it's just for now, that has surged. Well, let's see in a year's time how many of these enthusiastic sign-ups have turned into real exercise programs. My experience is that if you don't build exercise into your daily life, it won't happen. And the reason why we're such an unhealthy country is, as I say, because we've designed our lives around the motor car. Possibly the the second most unhealthy product on sale after cigarettes. I came here by bicycle. Uh, supposedly something now held in huge esteem by everybody because of our great Olympic cyclists. But on my way back to Paddington Station tonight, I'll be hooted at and uh, and cut up and generally treated like scum by an awful lot of people driving cars. That's not changed. The Conservatives do see the game's legacy as potentially bringing some economic benefits, even helping more people potentially to get employed. Why not share their enthusiasm? I will share it if there's any proof of it. But as far as I know, there has never been anything apart from the usual mystic mathematics of guesswork uh, to establish that there will be any legacy of this kind. On the contrary, what's happened to this country is that it's grown more deep in debt than it was before. And debt is currently our major problem because we can't make our national accounts balance. We're in the position of a a family uh, whose senior members are undischarged bankrupts and unemployed, whose house is unrepaired with busted wiring with a a broken down car in the the front yard, which then borrows several thousand pounds and, and holds a noisy party in its back garden to try and cheer everybody up. Most of the neighbors seeing such an activity would say, these people think they're doing? Who do they think they are? Who, who, who are they impressing? And, and do we really imagine that the rest of the world watched on its TV screens, and most people saw the Olympics on TV screens, the same Olympics we saw. In France, they saw some French medal winners. In Australia, they saw some Australian medal winners. They didn't make the fuss about it that we made. It hasn't changed their lives in any particular fashion. Britain is still the indebted country that can't pay its way that it was before. Do you not think that there's something about having a spectacle like that to inspire a generation? No. I very much doubt whether a generation has been inspired. How does one measure these things anyway? Well, maybe you could see by the number of people who actually are engaging with things around them for the first time ever. I think that the well, idea when, that... When they, they publish a national engagement uh, a national engagement Well, Cameron chart, is doing uh, an, index, an index well-being chart at the moment, which most people think is laughable, but we'll, well see how that comes back. And, and I'm one of them. If you're going to make claims for something that's that's cost a very considerable amount of material effort and money, then you have to be able to come back with objectively measurable results. It's no good saying there's been this great wave of this and this great cloud of that. You have to say, this has happened. When someone can establish to me that any of these things have actually happened, I'll pay attention to it. Until then, permit me to doubt. Almost every Olympic Games that's been held in in recent years has ended up costing the host money and other things in one way or another. And I don't see any reason why this should be any different. Thank you for that though, Peter. The turn now of Catherine Pepinster, editor of the Catholic Weekly, The Tablet. Let's first look at what you wrote in your paper, and I quote, The Olympic legacy is like the impact of the papal visit for Catholics in the pew. They felt a bit more confident and that bit clearer about who they were and what they valued. You go on to say that people have been surprised by joy and the feeling lingers. Surprised is one thing, lingers is another, which does imply legacy. Tell us some more about that. 
I'm not a sports fanatic myself by any means. I, I absolutely hated sport at school. Um, the idea of playing netball fills me with horror even now. And I was very surprised by how engaged I was. I thought the the energy of the games, the enthusiasm for them was captivating and uh, people were really enthused. Uh, just about everybody I knew, uh, including those who, like me, hated games at school, aren't, aren't that sporty, really enjoyed them. And part of that was the admiration of, of people's ability and talent. Part of it was perhaps feeling that patriotism wasn't a dirty word anymore. Uh, perhaps some of it was just the sheer entertainment. But you talk about it lingering. Let me talk about the experience of the papal visit, because I, I think that was a very interesting experience for Catholics. An awful lot of people in advance of, of Pope Benedict's visit to this country in, in 2010 expected it to go wrong, huge protests, that people wouldn't turn out, that it would be a mess. Uh, when it happened... There were huge crowds. The protests were very small. People, including non-Catholics, were very interested in, in what was going on. Um, there's a certain amount of spectacle to that visit, just as there was with the Games. And it, it came good. It went fine. I think we had the same kinds of trepidation about the Games before they happened. I think Catholics felt a, a bit more OK about being Catholics after that. Um, they were... A lot of them were surprised. A lot of them turned out for events that didn't think that, that they'd even go. I think that sort of confidence, that feeling about, mm, you know, that was good and we got together and we enjoyed it together, that has lasted. And I think it's possible that some of that will last, that feeling will last. But you do say here the Olympic legacy is like the impacts of the papal visit. And, you know, for these Catholics, they, they're a bit clear about who they were and what they valued. Yes, I think what, that's what, what true. What are British people now clearer about and what are their values since the Olympics? Well, I think that for many people in Britain, perhaps they, they're not quite sure what Britain is in the 21st century. What we've seen on, on display is a country that is... Certainly in its cities, it, it, it's multicultural. And we've seen displayed before us that Britain is capable of people coming together regardless of race and creed. You wrote that the Games transformed the nation's spirit and that you can't wait for the Paralympics. And you wrote that millions cheering on Mo Farah to win the 5,000 metres had done more for race relations and interfaith dialogue than any number of meetings between imams and bishops. I'm not sure that groups of elderly uh, clerics sitting around in rooms talking to one another for hours and end really does bring together people of different religions. Whereas you see somebody like Mo Farah, um, he makes various gestures that are you know, linked to Muslim prayer. He talks to the cameras and people listen to him sitting on their sofa eating the crisps that Peter mentions. And He's just an ordinary guy with an, an incredible talent. He's not somebody alien and different. And, you know, maybe therefore he's worthy of respect rather than somebody because he's got a different religion to be feared. Whereas I think, you know, a lot of people post 9-11 have labelled Muslims and post 7-7 have labelled Muslims in this country as people to be feared. And then there's Mo Farah who talks like a Londoner. He's a guy who's a family man. He's like them in a way perhaps they didn't realise Muslims were. But don't we have to face the fact that there's never really been a transference from a news event to real national behaviour? I mean, after the gloom of a football defeat or even the joy of a royal wedding, we're told that things will never be the same again, but they usually are rather quickly. 
They are, and yet they're not. You know, so, um, maybe sometimes there's something that happens that lingers a little bit longer. One thing that that we haven't talked about, which I think is a great legacy from the Olympic Games, were the athletes. Time and time again, the message was imparted that you don't get this from nothing. This kind of achievement takes graft, and that kind of message. Being repeated over and over again, I think, is a very valuable one for、Sorry. people to absorb. You admit, of course, that there's no less ugliness in the world post Olympics. Absolutely. Yet the truth is that a lot of ugliness was there for all to see at the games. I don't mean who was on drugs and who wasn't. I mean some of the guests watching from their special enclosures who are now back home to once again perpetrate appalling human rights abuses. Does that fact not quench your fire a little? Well, yeah, there's always that kind of distasteful aspect to the Olympics, isn't there? And I think I think that that distasteful aspect of the Olympics in years gone by was possibly even worse. I think some of the corruption has been dealt with. That is、uh, a grim side of things, but I don't think that detracts from the fact that they they were in many many ways a stonking success. Right. Well, you've both had your say. Now is the chance for you to challenge each other, Peter, Catherine. Well, I was struck by one thing that Catherine said, which was that after the Olympics, patriotism was no longer a, a dirty word.、Um, it wasn't a dirty word to me before the Olympics, and I don't see why the Olympics should have made any less of a dirty word than it was before. I think I think patriotism in this country has been quite subdued in recent years, and and this year, combining the Olympics and the Uh, Queen's Diamond, Diamond Jubilee has—I think it's re- seen a real renewal in people's enthusiasm for being British. I think people, quite a lot of people, were quite quite. Sh- that doesn't exactly address, ashamed, doesn't, it doesn't address the question of、British. why it was a dirty word. Well, because what's, what's bad about patriotism? Well, I think because because a lot of people of a particular type see patriotism. As rather close to jingoism, for example, and so they don't. Well, know, people the, who don't like patriotism. People who don't like do, patriotism. People, who, people think, who loathe their own country or who, for some other reason, don't feel any loyalty to it, may take that view. But that still doesn't answer the question: Why was it ever a, a dirty word? And what was it about an international athletics contest that suddenly made it any less of one? Because I think people weren't necessarily that proud to be British.、Um, For reasons caused by things that you've been mentioning, such as you know the, the sort of state of the country, the fact it's in a, in a bit of a mess, and people didn't feel、um, that we particularly achieved a great deal in other sports, for example. Patriotism isn't about pretending that your country is better than it is. If you love your country, you, you're probably more ready to admit its faults than if you don't. But I think But, people yeah, love it's, it's, their it's, country or enthused about the, the, it more when when there's something to be proud of. This is not necessarily a reason to be proud, and nor does it seem to me that when the Soviet Union. Was a great medal-winning country at, at, at almost every Olympics of, of the post-war period. That that made the Soviet Union a great country. The ability of a state to funnel expertise and money into certain carefully targeted sports doesn't say anything about the quality of the country as a whole. It says something about its desire to make propaganda. The legacy is part of the experience. I would say that part of the legacy is the PR image. And however much as journalists we hate PR. It does have an impact, and that will have an impact on the economy. I think that's you know that's good for Britain. Do you have a question for anything that Peter said? 
Well, uh, I was rather bemused when Peter started to talk about the opening ceremony of the Games and suggesting this was a sex, drugs and rock and roll Britain. Oh, very much so. I was a bit, so. a bit baffled by that. I well, didn't it, quite that see was, that in it, the opening ceremony. It was ceremony. all about, it was all, as was the closing ceremony, it was all, all about associating Britain's culture with mainly with pop music. Uh, and that was that was the culture which we were we, we were largely shown as as being the one which we wanted to demonstrate to the world as ours. What's you think all Simon, that about? You think Simon all, Rattles it's sex, part drugs, of pop music? Rock and roll. Sorry. You think Simon Rattles part of pop music? No. Although I, I think the, the the way in which the the orchestra was deployed at the opening ceremony, with, with, with the whole thing turned into a joke with with Rowan Atkinson, was about the only classical episode of the whole thing. The rest of it, as I say, was was post sixties pop music and the culture that goes with it. I don't find that culture particularly attractive myself. Catherine, you you said as we discussed that millions cheering on Mo had done a lot for race relations. We had a, a lot of athletes, not just Mo Farah, who were of different ethnic backgrounds. And the fact that they represented Britain uh, reminds us all that you know Britain is a, a rather different place uh, nowadays from what it was fifty odd years ago. And a lot, you know, a lot of people live in um, in parts of Britain where they, you know, they don't necessarily meet uh, people from other ethnic minority backgrounds. Well, I've lived in two foreign countries in my life, the United States and the Soviet Union, and I've visited about another 40 or so. And I think that this country is probably the most racially harmonious of any that I've ever come across and has been for a long time. I don't think that's its problem. Uh, The problem is that for a long time, politicians and teachers and various other people have been promoting a multiculturalism, which has made it harder for people to integrate than it otherwise would be by turning the country into a series of solitudes with their backs turned upon each other. I don't know whether the games had, the had games any effect on, any effect on that at all. not have those solitudes in quite the same way? No, I don't, I don't, I don't see how the games would have altered that uh, because apart from anything else, in, in, in many cases, the, the, they, they seem to me, particularly in the opening and closing ceremonies, to be quite keen on multiculturalism, which has always seemed to me to be disastrous. If you if you want a multiracial society, then you should have a monocultural society in which everybody lives in harmony, in in, in the same culture. If you want a if you want a society that's divided, then go for a multicultural one. When I say multicultural, in some ways, I suppose I, perhaps I mean more multiracial. And well, the two are totally people, distinct, yes, and people, people use them si- extraordinarily as, li- if they, side, as if they were living as, side as if by they were side. Synonymous. And sometimes people live very differently because there isn't something that's pulling them together as a nation but I think sport has the ability to do that and for those uh, solitudes as you say to be diluted. That's it thank you Catherine Pepinster and Peter Hitchens. Now do you the listener have a point of view you can't wait to express we want to hear from you so listen to this. If you want to do as Emma suggests join the debate by commenting on this podcast via our website www.thefifthcolumn.co.uk